Thank you for downloading this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida, and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Chip Ford, and I will be your host for today's episode titled, The Townsend House. We see them all over Central Florida. Older houses converted into something other than a home, usually as a business or museum. We see them driving to work, to school, to the store, and often we never give them a second thought. Have you ever wondered why someone would refurbish and preserve that house? Have you ever wondered who lived there when it was still a home? The object in this episode is one of those houses that has been repurposed into a museum. Today, the home of African-American couple James and Sally Townsend stands as a part of the Claremont Historical Village near downtown Claremont. But why has the house been preserved? We talked to Dr. Ann Lindsay, of the University of Central Florida to explain why people and communities preserve old houses and why some are turned into museums. Individuals and organizations have a desire to restore and preserve historic houses because of an interest in preserving something as familiar in their environment. There is an interest in those things that trigger memory among individuals, among citizens, among politicians, even among children. You might remember the school that you walked by every day or a grocery store that you always went to as a child. It evokes a memory for you, and that memory has an emotion attached to it. And so when we have these buildings on the landscape that have this emotion attached to them and that trigger a strong memory reaction, it causes us to want to preserve them so that they're there not only for our memories, but for future generations so that they can have the same enjoyment of them um, that we did. As far as historic houses and using them as museums, Historic houses are very popular sites for museums because people have already identified history with that site. And so to put a museum in that site just reinforces the idea that that history has value and that that building connects to that history in positive ways. And so they're trying to uh, capitalize on the memory that is associated with that site. And so for people to go to a historic house, there's also an element of curiosity. What's inside that house? If you've walked past the same building 300 times, you may at some point have wondered, what's in there and how does it work? So that's another way to draw visitors in. And once the visitors come to the house, then you can start teaching them about their past in a way that maybe they didn't expect, but that doesn't mean that they won't appreciate. How did a single family dwelling, like the Townsend House, change its original purpose and become a museum? One way to explore this is to utilize what is known as an object life cycle approach. Here, Dr. Lindsay explains what an object life cycle is and how that relates to a building such as the Townsend House. When we're talking about life cycles of objects, life cycles of buildings, what we're really talking about is a process that an item goes through over a period of time. So when something was produced, it had an original use that was that was intended but over time as culture changes as we change as individuals and as our needs change so too does our use of that object and that object may be used in a way that's completely different than what was intended but that doesn't mean that that use is wrong or incorrect we need to understand all of those uses over a period of time as equally significant to the historical record when we think about the life cycle as related to buildings, uh, that becomes more complicated because some buildings, of course, will retain their original use 
throughout their life. They were constructed to be a residence, and they continue to be a residence even to this day. Over 100 years, 150 years, they may continue to be a residence. What changes is how people live within that same space. Um, bathrooms come inside. Living spaces are more delineated. People may move walls or change things because society's needs for living space change. But that building is used in the same way. However, many historic houses, especially those that become museums, go through a different life cycle. So they'll begin life as a residence or maybe as a business, and then over time that use will change and maybe no one uh, buys the house or the business goes out of it and no other business comes in and it starts to fall into disrepair. Once those buildings start to fall into disrepair, many times a community will rally around a building, particularly one that evokes a strong memory, and they will seek to save that building through one means or another. If it can no longer be used in the use that it used to have, let's say it's a house in the middle of a commercial district now, it's going to have to change. It's going to have to be used now as a business or as a museum or something different. And that's a new life for that building that could mean that it stays on the landscape, whereas if its use had not changed, it might be lost forever. Utilizing the object lifecycle approach onto the Townsend House means that there was a beginning stage, a middle stage, and a repurposing stage to the home. To understand the house's importance to the community of Claremont and the reasoning for it becoming a museum, we need to examine the beginning stage of the house. The house was built by James Townsend in 1887, shortly after he and Sally Devon were married and moved to the community of Claremont. The couple was considered part of the black middle class due to their occupations. Mr. Townsend was ordained as the first minister of the St. Mark's AME Church in Claremont, and Mrs. Townsend became a midwife. We talked to Dr. Julian Chambliss of Rollins College to help explain why Sally chose to become a midwife in Central Florida during the late 19th century. Um, for African-American women, there are certain positions that they're allowed to have a kind of agency that is uh, associated with the gendered power. And I'm using that term as a sort of shorthand. In a sense, the the sphere of domesticity, the cult of domesticity, put a lot of emphasis on motherhood and the civilizing influence of women. So you can see African-American women working in roles that have a nurturing and caregiving aspect to them that will allow them to interact with white women in a way where they could resonate with that 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 framework. So school teacher, midwife, a nurse, um, where you see African-American women working to better their community and being lauded by for it by the white counterparts. And in fact, they might be involved in similar activities, especially in the late 19th and early 20th century with the emphasis on first the hygiene movement, the cleanliness in cities and communities across the United States. And then later on with beautification and municipal housekeeping, African-American women, especially middle-class women involved in organizations for social uplift and improvement become very strong advocates for the black community and are recognized perhaps in a paternalistic way, but nonetheless recognized by their white counterparts. James Townsend built his house from heart pine, a wood known to be resistant to rot and insects. The house had almost no ornamentation. It consisted of two stories, a downstairs where the main living space, a kitchen, and the master bedroom were. Upstairs was a loft. We talked to Dr. Charlie Haley, associate professor at the University of Florida. And here's what he had to say about some of the house's architectural elements 
and why the Townsend House would be considered a modest middle-class home. Yeah, the addition of a second level, again, whether it was built like that from the outset or whether it was added. To me, that of, of, all, the, of all the elements, that speaks to a, a slightly more um, expansive structure, even though it's still relatively modest. Um, and the, another interesting thing is the shallowness of the porch. You, know, you can certainly sit there, but it's probably no more than six feet deep. And that's where it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like Marjorie Kenner Rawlings' Cross Creek, when she bought the house, it was a she called it an excrescence on the house, just a sort of growth that didn't have the depth that she wanted. So she extended the porch out, I think, to about eight or nine feet deep. Um, and, and this one is interesting. It sort of stayed at the at the uh, shallower depth of the porch. One of the things that might be interested in looking at is some of Zora Neale Hurston's um, writing, um, particularly in Seraph on the Swanee. She, she talks about the porch as a... As a um, sort of space of refuge um, in what would be a more middle-class house. As founders and members of the local African Methodist Episcopal Church, both James and Sally Townsend adhered to the tenets of that institution. These tenets stated that they should see to the education, physical well-being, and economic stability of their church community. James Townsend started the first primary school for blacks in Claremont, and ran a small general store. Sally Townsend, as midwife, delivered, according to one newspaper account, over a thousand babies, both African-American and white, in the Claremont area. Being members of the black middle class, the Townsend's roles in their community could be seen as an active participation in what is known as the uplift movement. Here, Dr. Chambliss explains uplift philosophy and what the Townsend's were trying to achieve by participating in the movement. Yeah, for African-Americans after Reconstruction, especially for middle-class African-Americans, there's a push against the rising tide of anti-black sentiment being expressed in the South. Um, For middle-class African-Americans, that pushback is to, of course, assert that African-Americans can, in fact, uh, be just like white people, to to simplify their, their assertion. So what they do is they emphasize middle-class African-Americans, emphasize shared values and structures in society. They're not allowed to participate with white people um, because of segregation, but they, in fact, create a parallel uh, middle-class environment with the same structure that you would see for white people. Um, So white club women, black club women. Um, uh, White club women are involved in progressive social programs to help the city and promote, protect children, promote health and safety and education. And black women do the same things in their communities. And in fact, the two groups, although because of racism, can't be in the same organization, there's great controversy about that, but they can in fact parallel each other very perfectly. And they become a point of contact between black and white community because of course, as women, they share a kind of gendered perspective and they articulate um, similar values. So they do so Um, in each community, but because they share uh, a kind of gendered perspective, they're able to create dialogue between the two. After Mr. and Mrs. Townsend's death, their children and their grandchildren continued to live in the home. Aluminum siding was added to the outside of the house, and the front porch was enclosed. Eventually, the last remaining granddaughter moved away, and the house became abandoned. This would be considered the house's middle stage. 
The property was sold to new owners in 1999, who wanted to build an office building at the location. The new owners, realizing the history of the house, donated it to the Southlake Historical Society, on the condition that they move it to a new location. According to a local newspaper report, fundraising efforts soon commenced, and half of the money needed was quickly raised. Local professionals donated their services, which covered the rest of the cost. The house was finally moved in 2002 to its present location at the Claremont Historical Village. The house was restored to what it looked like in the late 19th century, and became a museum that showcases the experiences of James and Sally Townsend in Claremont. This would be considered the house's repurposing stage. The Townsend house went through three distinct stages, a beginning, a middle, and finally a repurposing stage. The house did not continue its purpose as a home, but neither did it fall into complete ruin after its abandonment. Mr. and Mrs. Townsend's home was saved from the wrecking ball and reutilized as a museum, in part because of their achievements during the Jim Crow era within the community of Claremont. Not only has their home been repurposed into a museum, but it also stands as a monument to the accomplishments of James and Sally Townsend within a segregated Central Florida. Those achievements have been recognized, not only by the local historical society, but also by the community of Claremont, both African American and white. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. If you would like to see the home of James and Sally Townsend and other items of Central Florida history, please visit the Claremont Historical Village at 480 West Avenue, Claremont, Florida, 34711. Please join us for our next episode titled Dixon's Folly.